There we go. We started Ecclesiastes last week. I hope it wasn't depressing for you, um, what we looked at last week. And Ecclesiastes is not always the book you turn to for uh, great comfort. But it can be, and it should be. Um, I have encouraged you to read through it. Uh, Did you take some time to read through it this week? Or maybe at least get started? I told you it would take you 30 minutes. If you sit down and read it straight through, it will take you about 30 minutes. If you you don't think you have that, well, if you just did six minutes a day over five days during the week, you'd still get through it, you know, and if maybe that's, uh, you could do two chapters a day over six days if you want, 12 chapters in there, and that would cover it. If, uh, you know, if that's, how about four and a half minutes a day? You know, I think you give God four and a half, sounds bad when you say it like that, doesn't it? Um, you know, but here's the deal. You know, you can do it. You can you can do it. You can read through it. You can get through this thing. Uh, you know, if you read through it, then you'll know exactly where we're going with this every week. And uh, you know, and God will God will teach you more as you get into His Word more. He will teach you more. Uh, so let me let me just encourage you. You know, to do that. To uh, you know, want to want to uh, follow along. Let's pray, and we're going to get into the passage for today. Father, thank you for your Word. And uh, we don't say that lightly. Uh, we really mean it. Uh, we would be lost if it wasn't um, being able to have that guidance that, uh, of your word that shows us Jesus, shows us you, shows us your love, shows us your care, leads us to the cross, helps us to understand your continued love for us, helps us to understand your call on our life, helps us to understand how to live this life in a manner in which is, well, which, which brings joy, joy to you, joy to us, Father. Uh, you are, your word is not in conflict with life. Your word leads us to real life, true life. You know the challenges of everyone that's in here. Uh, you know the battles they've had this week. You know the battles coming up. You know the distractions that are there. Uh, speak to hearts as only your spirit can do to apply your word, your truth, your grace, and your presence, we pray. With thanks in Christ's name, Amen. Well, you know, last week as we were as we were looking at the, at the passage, um, uh, you know, um, somebody said to me, "Well, that was depressing." I hope you know. I I, I hope uh, you know you didn't find it that way. One of the themes of Ecclesiastes is the brevity of life. Uh, you know, we we looked at that. We looked at that that word vanity, um, empty. Uh, what's it called? And some of them. Um, uh, but but the word means you know that word, that word means breath, the word means you know a vapor, and he's talking about the the emptiness of things there, uh, you know, and and all of the things that we attempt to bring into life, hoping for some permanence, hoping for some uh, meaning in life, and this is what he addresses in Ecclesiastes, that you know he says you know God through the teacher through the preacher, some of the translations say that you know God is trying to change our perspective. He is trying to change the perspective of how we look at life, how we look at him. Everything under the sun he refers to, that's what's found on this earth, you know, and none of that is able to bring us the joy, the peace, the permanence that we're striving for. Uh, What we find with everything under the sun is that we're not really satisfied. It doesn't bring that satisfaction that we want. It doesn't bring that permanence we want here. So we look for permanence in a world of constant change. And, and, you know, we find that we can never grasp it as firmly as we would like to because it is very tough to grab a hold of a breath of a vapor. 
you know, it's, it's very hard. And we look for change in the world of permanence, a world that runs on a cyclical manner. He talks about that, you know, in these first 11 verses of the, of the book. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it's, change is temporary at best in this world. You know, that's the best that's there. It's just a breath, but a reminder. The fact that life is just a breath and, and, and you know, the things here being temporary, that does not mean... That does not mean that this life is not important. You know, so don't don't understand that that's what he's saying here. You know, when he's saying, you know, all is meaningless, he's not saying that there is no purpose. What he's saying is there is no permanence. You know, there is no permanence in it there. You know, this doesn't mean we pack it in and wait to die. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy this life. It does mean that we need to get a new perspective on life. That's what he's talking about, and that's what he's directing us toward. You know, now God also used Peter to convey this whole perspective. You know, in his first epistle, these verses are marked out for you in your outline. There, the references, anyway. Uh, he, he refers to those who know Christ Jesus as exiles, strangers. He says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those chosen, living as exiles. That word, that word he has there, exiles, that means a pilgrim, a sojourner. Someone who is traveling in a place that is not their home. That they know this is not their home. They're temporary residents. They, are some, they realize they are simply passing through. Now this is who he's writing to. God uses Paul to remind the Corinthians of the same thing. He says, For we know that if this tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, he's talking about our body here. In this tent, we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. He's saying this is not permanent. You know, what we have here and what we, you know, what we are now, don't feel, don't look at this as permanent as the end all that is there. That, that is not, that is not what's happening. You know, we should look at this, we should look at this world, view this world as a place of our journey, not the place of our permanent home. It is a place where he has this journey you know, and, and going along through. It's just a breath, a whisper, a puff of smoke. He says, this is what it is. And as God's people, those who know Christ as our Savior, um, we certainly can find peace in this life, and we should. He's told us, you know, Romans 5.1, um, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified, when you come to Christ, you're justified. He declares you not guilty, not because you're not guilty, but because Christ paid that penalty for your guilt. He says, we, therefore, you know, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace. Not we will have later. We have peace peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. But you just don't know what I'm going through. No, guess what? God does know what you're going through. And what he says is you have peace and you can have peace in the midst of that. He says we can also have rest for our souls when we know him. Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are wearied and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, he said. Learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Now, don't mistake these, though. Don't mistake these 
you know, the peace that he gives us and this rest he's talking about. Don't mistake these for life on easy street. That is not what he's talking about here. Some false teachers would like you to believe, you know, that, that Jesus will spoil you now as you sit back and eat grapes all day. That is not the picture of what he's talking about at all. In fact, what Jesus actually told us to expect is quite different. John chapter... We're not starting out real encouraging again, just so you know. Uh, John chapter 15, uh, you know, he says, If you were of this world, uh, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of this world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you? A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. But they will do all of these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. And you've heard me tell you this verse so many times before. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. That is not the promise that Joel Osteen will give you to claim. That is not the promise that you will hear from T.D. Jakes or Joyce Myers or any of these other ones. They will not tell you to claim this promise that you will have suffering in this world. But guess what Jesus said? You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. I've conquered the world. He said, well, I have peace. and in it, 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 there, There's peace there that doesn't mean you won't have trouble. But what it does mean is in the midst of that trouble, you can understand who he is and, and have that peace that comes not from this situation, but from your relationship to, to the Lord. Matthew chapter 10. He says, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about what you are to speak. Uh, For you, you will be given what to say at that hour because it isn't you speaking But the Lord, excuse me, it is the Lord. It isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and the father his child. Can you imagine living like that? Children will rise up against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly, I tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave to become like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more are the members of his household? The relationship with Jesus is not the ticket to Easy Street, but it is the road home. It is, you know, it is not our permanent home. We are sojourners here. We are, we are passing through just a breath, a wisp of smoke, a vapor, you know, a stranger, a misfit in this world. But... You know, we often lose sight of that. We become resident Christians rather than living as God's people who know they're only passing through. And we begin to settle down and we begin to grasp this world as though, you know, is this our greatest treasures are here and now on earth. We begin to think and, and live as if, you know, what's under the sun is the best thing we could ever have. 
That's not what he's told us to do. But we do this, you see, by the lifestyles we choose. We do this by the priorities we live for. You know, we show where our heart is by those. We hold on too tightly to this world sometimes. Now, Jesus knew this was going to be a temptation for us, and he gave us a warning. In Matthew, he said, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ecclesiastes helps us understand the right kind of storing we should be focused on. It helps us to understand the right perspective that he wants us to have. Uh, Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 if you haven't done that already. I'm going to begin in verse 12. Okay, we're going to cover a chapter and a half. We'll do it. Uh, After showing us how how, how how this world is not able to give us the permanence that we desire, uh, the, the first 11 verses there of the book, the teacher now, he begins to share with us from his personal experience. Keep in mind what we're reading here is his personal experience is what he's telling us. As we read this, and he goes over and over, you'll see where he says, he just is relating what has gone on in his life. Uh, He begins with the pursuit of wisdom here in verses 12 through 18, which is interesting coming from Solomon. You know, as it comes from Solomon, he certainly had wisdom. And not that he was just a smart man, because just a second before we look at, uh, at Ecclesiastes, he wasn't just a smart man. God gave Solomon wisdom. Very great insight, understanding, as vast as a sand. Did you see what it says there? God gave Solomon wisdom. That's a good thing. He had wisdom. And he's applying that God-given wisdom here in Ecclesiastes. Follow along, verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. I, the teacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, and I have found everything to be futile, a vapor, a pursuit of the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, see, I have amassed wisdom far beyond those who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has thoroughly grasped wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. Now one quick observation before we continue here. Don't let the gifts from God replace God. Solomon was wise and had a lot of wisdom. Don't let those gifts from God replace God in your living. You see, he said, I applied wisdom and I had wisdom. And guess what? He said, I found out there's more than that, that that is not the end all. Wisdom itself was not the answer. It certainly is a means to the answer. You know, but the gift itself isn't, isn't the answer here. He says he pursued the best teachers, best places of learning. He learned how to learn well. He learned that well, and he excelled at learning. He excelled at accumulating knowledge. And he said the more he learned, the sadder he became. For with much wisdom is much sorrow. As knowledge increases, grief increases. You ever notice how happy kids are? 
Just think back for a little bit. For some of you, it's a long bit. Think back to when you were a kid. Didn't give much rip about anything, did you? Wasn't all of this stuff. What I was looking for was, hey, you know what we get to do tomorrow? You know? Ooh, you know, what's for lunch? Well, I still do that sometimes. But, you know, the, the whole thing. The, we, 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 and then the more you know, you begin to realize there's some things that just aren't fun. Wisdom, knowledge, he says, wasn't the answer. He continues. He tells us how he applied that. Chapter 2, verse 1, follow along. He said, I said to myself, Go ahead, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy what is good. But it turned out to be futile. I said about laughter, it's madness. And about pleasure, what does this accomplish? I explored with my mind the pull of wine on my body, my mind still guiding me with wisdom, and how to grasp folly until I could see what is good for people to do under the heaven during the few days of their life. Now he's talking here about pleasure. You know, he says pleasure, enjoying what is good. It's a that is a huge motivator in our society. Uh, you know, probably already realize that. You know, pleasure is the push of advertising. It is the push of things that we hear all day long. You need these particular clothes to make you feel beautiful, because pretty girls walk like this. Anyway, uh, you know, the, the whole thing. You need this food or drink. This is what you need to eat. This is what you need to drink to be healthy. You need to drive this vehicle. You need, this is the one you need to drive and you need to have and you need to have this vehicle and drive it to a place that you're not at now because the other place is going to be much better. And guess what? You can go there in real style. You can go there in real style. You don't have to drive that junky thing you have because you know what? We can help you out. You can just pay on this car. My gosh, I couldn't believe it. It, it, it. Well, I'm just going to show my age, so we'll skip it. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole deal, you know, it, 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 the whole thing, is, it's on pleasure. It, you know, we want pleasure. We want to be happy. You've been pursuing that this morning. I mean, you've already been pursuing it. You stayed in the shower a little bit longer because it was nice and it was warm. You made that coffee or tea and just uh, you made it how you like it. You put on clothes that you pulled out of the closet, which you a dresser, which you filled with clothes that you like. And you put on clothes that you like out of that abundance of clothes that you have. You've pursued it today. You know, and all we do, whether, you know, earning a living, uh, you know, marrying your spouse, raising your children, going out to eat, going fishing, going shopping, watching TV, whatever it is, the common desire is pleasure. The common desire is to be happy. He says, I said to myself, go ahead, I will test you with pleasure and enjoy what is good. And he goes on, he says, he, he, he said, he examined, explored laughter, comedy, you know, he said, with, and pleasure, whatever I want, whatever I want. He says, the pull of wine, you know, alcohol. I think we can add drugs in our society too, you know, all, all of these other things. You know, so even how to grasp folly, even the absurd. And he says, yet I did that all with wisdom. Because pursuing pleasure is our national pastime. It's not baseball, it's not football or whatever, you know, basketball or any other thing. It, it, it's, it's pursuing pleasure because it's one way to distract ourselves. And we want to distract ourselves so we can escape facing that reality. 
that we are only passing through. He says, then he focused on accomplishing more. Look at verse 4. He says, I increased my achievements. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. I constructed reservoirs for myself from which to irrigate a grove of flourishing trees. I acquired male and female servants and had slaves who were born in my house. I also owned livestock, large herds and flocks, more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasures of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself. I had many concubines, the delights of men. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also remained with me. Verse 10, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. When I considered all that I had accomplished, And what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile in a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. You see, he became industrious and he worked to accomplish and to acquire all that he could. Another obsession in our society. Another thing we work for. Work, achieve, acquire more and more, you know, and and gather more. Bigger, better, bolder, faster, wealthier. I push to be number one. You know, he he was a man of influence here. And all of this is going on. And he says he refused himself nothing. No pleasure was off limits. He had many servants and he had servants to take care of things. So he had more time to pursue those pleasures, more time to pursue those passions. Said he had concubines, you know, concubines, more concubines than he could ever want. He got all the pretty girls, he said, so he could indulge his physical passions whenever he wished. And you better believe we lived in a sex-soaked society. Verse 10, he says, all that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure, for I took pleasure in all my struggles. This was my reward for all my struggles. And then he takes time to survey all that he accomplished here, all he had amassed, all he had piled up, all that he had indulged in. And look at what he found. Verse 11, when I considered all I accomplished, well, all that I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile, empty, a vapor. And the pursuit of the wind, there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He found it was quite pointless. He couldn't grasp everything. He had everything there, but still, it was still eluding his grasp. That pleasure, that, that satisfaction that he wanted, that life that he wanted, just kept eluding him. Remember what we saw last week about this word gained, where he says there's nothing to be gained under the sun. That word gained means that, that, that profit, something left at the end. Something after all, after all that effort and after all putting it through, something that makes it worth more. And he says, what I have found is you know, that, that through all that and all that stuff, there was zero net gain, he said. I was added, there was added nothing to my life. Now, he may have had more on the books. You see, he, you know, he may, his net worth may have increased, but he says that he actually gained nothing. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. Achievements and pleasures do not last. 
If that's your goal and if that's what you're striving for, achievements and pleasures do not last. In the end, there is no gain. In the end, there is no addition to you. There is no profit. You are no better off than the next person. They are momentary, temporary, transient. Happiness is just a breath, a vanishing vapor, a wisp of smoke. This is what he's telling us. Then he jumps headlong into what he's been hinting at and walking around and walking, you know, walking around all along here. Follow along, verse 12. Then I turn to consider wisdom, madness, and folly. For what will the king's successor be like? He will do what has already been done. And I realize that there is an advantage to wisdom over folly, like the advantage of light over darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. You know, I also knew that one fate comes to them both. So I said to myself, what happens to the fool will also happen to me. Why then have I been overly wise? And I said to myself that this is also futile. For just like the fool, there is no lasting remembrance of the wise, since in the days to come, both the wise and the foolish will be forgotten. How is it that the wise person dies just like the fool? Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me. For everything is futile, a pursuit of the wind. I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This, too, is futile. So I began to give myself over to despair concerning all the work that I had labored at under the sun. When there is a person whose work is done uh, with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and he must give his portion to a person who has not worked for it, this, too, is futile and a great wrong. For what does a person get with all his work and all his effort that he labors at under the sun? For all his days are filled with grief, and his occupation is sorrowful, even at night. His mind does not rest. This, too, is futile. So here he lays out what he has been hinting at all along. Rich or poor, wise or a fool, death comes to everyone. It's a vapor, a breath, a wisp of smoke. And he realizes that even living wisely will not bring a different end. He will return to dust. All the work, all the learning, all the pleasure, all the riches do not bring a different conclusion. There is no gain. You don't come to a different conclusion. This is what he's telling us here. You know, and those who follow us will have control over what we worked for. All the tools in my garage will be sold for 10 cents on a dollar at an auction after I go. And so will yours. And it adds nothing to us. We leave them all behind. And it adds nothing to the end. Now remember here, the teacher is recounting personal experience for us here. What he's telling us is what he has found as he applied wisdom. One commentator put it this way. I liked what he said. It's a sobering account of the, relentless ang- of the relentless anxiety of a materialist who lives under the shadow of unavoidable death. 
the distractions and the diversions that he describes here, uh, these are what we use to consume our mind. These are what we use to console ourselves and try not to face this reality that we are only passing through, that we are sojourners here, that we are exiles here, aliens. You know, uh, now, we don't have, sl- I don't anyway, we don't have slaves, cattle, concubines. Instead, we're buried in an avalanche of media. And we're, in, we're buried in an avalanche of entertainment options. And we're buried in all of this stuff. They bury our faces in the phone. And, uh, we, and, you know, if the reality of death doesn't inform the way we live, then we're simply pretending as if living is an end in itself. We're simply pretending and, and living as if, you know, the truly valueless adds value to our life. All that we have will be left behind. We aren't ready to live until we're ready to die. This is what he's telling us here. This is what he gets into in the next few verses. Follow along. We're going to finish this up here. Verse 24, chapter 2. There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Uh, Because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? For to the person who is pleasing in his sight, he gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and accumulating in order to give to the one who is pleasing in God's sight. This too is futile and a pursuit of the wind. What he says here, you know, it isn't knowledge, it isn't profit, it isn't pleasure, it isn't laughter, it isn't materialism that will bring us to true happiness. You know, it, you know th- th- those don't bring us true happiness. Now, the teacher, he says, he says here, eat, drink, and enjoy his work. God has given us good things of this world to enjoy. Now, does that surprise you? You know, and does that surprise you from what he's been saying? It shouldn't. God gives us those good things of, of, of this world to enjoy. All the way back to the garden. In the Garden of Eden, he created this perfect place for Adam and Eve to live in and to enjoy. To care for, yes, but to enjoy. And he gave that to them there. Now, when we accept the, the fact that this life is temporary, that we all die, then we can stop expecting the wrong things from the stuff we have. We can stop expecting that the things we have are going to bring purpose to life. We can stop expecting that all we have around us is what is meant, is what is meant to bring us the ultimate joy and the ultimate satisfaction. It is just there. You know, we begin to use them for what they really are. We begin to see them for what they really are. We begin to see them as the gifts from God. Not an end in themselves. Not... Not something that we need to make us happy. We understand that they add no lasting value to life. But let me ask you, what if our work was never intended? What if our work was never intended to make us successful, but simply to make us faithful and generous? This is what he's laying out here. The teacher is making the point that the world cannot be leveraged to suit me. It cannot be leveraged to suit me. Life is, to, is, is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. 
we are not meant to master it. You know, n- not everything can be controlled. Everything can't be fixed. You know, not everything is a problem to be solved, you know, by our wisdom. Some things must be suffered. Some things must be endured. And we, ter- we are to enjoy life despite the fact that they're there. You know, the emphasis here is on what God gives. Notice what he says. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. The way God gives us enjoyment in this life is by giving us perspective. Perspective on ourselves, perspective on our environment, perspective on our place with Him. Verse 25, because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from Him? Realize that the things in life, they don't come from your own efforts. They come from His giving. They come from His giving. Verse 26, For to the person who is pleasing in His sight, He gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy. It comes from God. The joy you're looking for comes from God. The gospel... The the gospel does not lead us into a life of contented ease, but it leads us into a life-giving relationship with our Savior. And all real life flows from Him. Who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from Him? The answer is no one. No one. We are just... A breath, a vapor, a wisp of smoke. We are creatures made for a relationship with our Savior. It is not our striving. It's His giving. Stop putting value on the valueless. On those things which God gave you to help you not just to enjoy life, but to see His gracious hand at work in your life. It's not our striving. It's His giving. More next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for how You do provide. And over and over again, the things that You give us in life. The life that You give us. Don't let us be lulled into thinking, or fooled into thinking that it's the stuff that gives life. It's You who gives life. Don't let us be distracted by the pleasures of this world and begin to pursue them uh, to, to the place where we ignore you, to the place where we overlook you, to the place where we put value on these things that should only be given to you. We live in an abundant country, Lord. We live in a country that wants us, well, a society, we live in a world that wants us to find value in stuff and not you. Help us to find value in You so that we can see stuff in the proper context. So that we can live our life for Your glory and honor, not for our whims and wishes and desires and pulls and lusts. But for the glory of God. Bring us. 
bring us to that place. That place of living, living life as those temporary residents who are connected to the eternal God. Be glorified by the way us, your people, live for you, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.